0: Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Welcome back to this week's edition of Off the Cuff with Representative Jared Huffman. This is my podcast, and today is the State of the Union Address. Uh, Interesting that this is a speech about our union, uh, which is supposed to be about the things that hold us together. And yet, uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to go upstairs and hear from a president who seems to be doing everything he can to drive us apart. There's not a lot of union in Donald Trump. And uh, when it comes to... Hurting transgender people, he's been especially divisive. It's, of course, part of a broader agenda to divide Americans, turn us against each other. But we're going to talk specifically about the transgender piece of the Donald Trump agenda today. And I'm happy to have two terrific guests with me uh, who not only know this agenda, but they've uh, had their lives impacted by it. First, from uh, my district, from Fort Bragg. I'm really pleased that my guest at tonight's State of the Union will be Linda Bankston-Davis. She um, is a transgender veteran who's dedicated over a decade of her life to serving in the Marine Corps. Her next plan was to serve her country by reenlisting in the Air National Guard. Uh, but that plan has been um, clouded with uncertainty because of some attempts by our president to prevent transgender service in the military. So we'll talk about that. But we're also joined... By Sarah McBride. Sarah is uh, a national LGBTQ rights advocate, currently serves as the national press secretary for the human rights campaign. And Sarah came out as transgender while serving uh, as the American University student body president. You may remember that uh, she made some national headlines with her work there and has gone on to do great things to protect the rights of trans people. So, uh, Sarah, Linda, welcome. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for
0: having me. I would like to begin with you, Linda. You served the Marine in the Marine Corps for over a decade. Can you talk about how recently you've been affected by President Trump's attempt to ban transgender military service?
2: Uh, yes, sir. Um, so I guess it was 2016, and I believe it was the Secretary of the Army announced that they were going to finally allow transgender persons to serve openly. And I heard the news talked it over with my husband, and I said, I'd like to re-enlist. So that next day, I contacted a National Guard and an Air National Guard recruiter and explained my situation and let them know that I was interested in re-enlisting. Both recruiters were extremely receptive, extremely helpful, gave me everything I needed, all the support I needed. I had managed to complete all the requested paperwork and have all the information submitted, and I was just waiting for a July 2017 date to get medical clearance. Well, that date came and went because members of the Pentagon wanted a little more time. So that went up until December 1st. I was fine with that. I waited till December 1st. And then there were three ominous and now famous tweets from Mr. Trump, the president of the United States, who said no. I was kind of blown away. And it was like I had no recourse. I had nothing I could do to state my case. There was nothing I could do. It just blew me away and locked me out of what I wanted to do. Naturally, this went to the courts, and the courts said, well, you can't discriminate. You have to let people in no matter what. So I started the process again, and I'm currently in the process, and it is moving very slowly. However, outside of the wonderful support I have had from members in the military, it just seems that it's one roadblock after another after another, and everything is still up in the air come March and now I'm getting close to my age cut off. So it's been extremely frustrating and disheartening.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty stressful. Um, I wanna go over to Sarah and ask you to walk us through how we got here. We had, uh, under President Obama and uh, uh, our former defense secretary, uh, a, a military that was moving in the direction of including transgender service, of laying out the policy guidelines to make that happen. And uh, then something changed what what happened?
1: well first I just want to say uh, thank you congressman for for your leadership on this issue and your commitment to equality and and Linda thank you so much for for your service and for your commitment to serve uh, your country you truly are an inspiration to me and, and it's an honor to be on this podcast with both of you um, congressman as you as you mentioned this uh, this has been a long process uh, Beginning in July of 2016, the Obama administration began allowing transgender people who were presently serving their country in the military uh, to begin serving openly. And that was the result of a year-plus-long exhaustive process um, done by the Pentagon in consultation with experts and professionals and transgender people uh, that found that there was just no legitimate reason to bar transgender people from serving their country, that the United States was lagging far behind uh, comparative countries and militaries, including Australia, the United Kingdom, Israel, uh, in in forbidding transgender people from serving openly. Um, Now, it's important to to note that transgender people were already serving their country before that ban was lifted. One estimate put it at roughly 15,000 transgender people serving Uh, even prior to the ban being lifted. Uh, But the Obama administration, siding with overwhelming evidence, scientific evidence, military uh, expertise, uh, decided to lift that ban. They did that in July of 2016 and also announced that um, the next year, uh, of course, when a new president would be in office, uh, they would also begin enlisting transgender people um, and re-enlisting transgender people into the military. Um, that was that was uh, stalled for a little bit to allow the military to to to, um, to prepare, which they gave them ample time for. And then, uh, of course, as that was uh, preparing to to begin, as that reenlistment uh, and at that enlistment process was was preparing to to begin, uh, as Linda mentioned, in a series of, of erratic tweets that really caught the Pentagon off guard, the White House off guard, and frankly, a, a number of your colleagues even on the other side off guard, congressmen, uh, the president announced that he would be reinstating a ban on transgender people serving openly in the military. A, a really notable and, um, I think, for a lot of folks, drawing uh, step backwards in our progress as a nation toward equality for all. Uh, he cited costs as a concern, uh, costs as it related to, to transgender uh, people accessing transition-related care in the military. Uh, uh, a completely fallacious argument. Um, costs for providing inclusive care as every person deserves are, are negligible. Uh, it was really a thinly veiled attempt to legislate transgender people, uh, legalize discrim- legislate transgender people out of the military, and and as part of an ongoing effort by this administration to push transgender people into the shadows, uh, to to relegalize discrimination, uh, to legislate discrimination in many cases with with your colleagues on the other side. Um, uh, against transgender people uh, to push us into the closet, to to push us into the shadows that includes in the military and schools uh, and throughout daily life. Uh, And it's it's a troubling agenda, uh, and and it's it's one that, particularly on this military issue, uh, we believe, and and so many others, including now several courts, uh, believe that it's illegal.
0: So let's talk about uh, the period after these tweets came out. Linda, you've described how you felt when you read the president of the United yeah, States saying these things. Um, Sarah, you are with the Human Rights Campaign, uh, an advocacy group that's lawyered up and ready to fight things like this, right? What happened?
1: Well, that's absolutely right, and and you know, almost immediately after the the, the tweet um, the tweets by the president, we heard from so many transgender people who are serving their country or wishing to serve their country who uh, were scared. Uh, about what this this new policy would mean uh, for themselves, for their families, for their futures. Um, you know, when you're fighting in Afghanistan or uh, is, you know, overseas in Iraq, or frankly, serving in the military in any capacity, uh, everyone should be able to focus on their mission and not have to worry about discrimination at the hands of their own commander in chief. Uh, so the human rights campaign began working to, to resist this president's uh, policy as part of our ongoing efforts to resist this president's discriminatory agenda. Uh, and on behalf of our transgender members of our organization serving and wishing to serve their country, uh, we joined as organizational co-plaintiffs in a lawsuit filed by Lambda Legal and OutServe SLDN, which are legal organizations um, in the Federal District of Washington out uh, in Seattle. Uh, and so we've been a party to that case, uh, which is making its way through the courts. Um, as, as Linda mentioned, uh, there, there are a couple cases that are happening right now. Uh, and, and so far, the courts have uniformly sided with transgender people and the U.S. Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, and have said that that uh, the president cannot uh, discharge anyone. And uh, come January 1st, the court required the president uh, to begin enlistment of transgender people into the into the military. Now, has the court
0: uh, and- has the court actually ordered him to begin enlistment, or have they just enjoined his attempt to ban?
1: Well, they mm-hmm. enjoined they, they, uh, the policy, um, and that included uh, that, that he, they had to begin enlistment on January 1st. Uh, and there was the possibility of the administration uh, appealing that specific requirement, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but they, they decided not to, I think, potentially seeing the writing on the wall. Right. Uh, and so enlistment began on January 1st. Now, there, well, here
0: we think, are. We're in, almost February.
1: That's right. So people, transgender people are enlisting. Transgender people are serving. And really, this administration needs to see the writing on the wall. They need to respect the service okay. of these people uh, who are putting their lives on the line uh, and, and just finally give up on this uncomfortable and uncomfortable
0: Agreed. Problem. Agreed. Let me ask Linda, though. Uh, so we are almost at February. Yes. The court has said starting in January uh, it's a new day. Yes. Uh, how's your application been going to re-enlist?
2: Well, my application's been going, but very slowly, and it always makes me wonder if people are just asking for that one extra piece of paperwork you can't supply, or they're sitting on the paperwork. And I'm sure that's my own paranoid nature, not fully trusting the system just because the system's let me down so many times before. Um, The Army National Guard did not go any further, and it was mainly due to missing some documentation about my last three years of service. The Air National Guard has been more than helpful, and they are continuing to process. Well, I am continuing to try to get a statement of service from MMRP, which is where the Marine Corps records are held. And that's been a slow process, and it just seems that every turn they ask for another piece of paperwork and another piece of paperwork and the things that I've had to supply.
0: And we're doing everything we can. My office is working yes, with you, are, you to try to yes. make sure they're being as responsive as possible so there's not a lot more you can do to, to get them moving. No, uh, It's got to be frustrating.
2: Uh, it's very frustrating, sir. I've, I've written letters to my governor, my lieutenant governor, twice to my governor, never got a re- response back when The tweets went out by Donald Trump. I sent a letter to Secretary of Defense, um, the Honorable Mr. Mathis. I never got anything back. I doubt he even got the letter, but I just had to state my piece about how one thing the Marine Corps instills is integrity. And I'm being about as honest as I can be, and yet I'm still shut out.
0: Yeah. Uh, Sarah, if folks like Linda who are trying to serve, trying to do what the court said they must be allowed to do... Continue to be slow walked and uh, subjected to bureaucracy and resistance. Um, could there be follow up litigation or court orders that you would envision?
1: It, you know, if folks are experiencing um, challenges, there are obviously a number of remedies. Uh, the Pentagon has made clear uh, that that they are that they that they are prepared to enlist transgender people, and they're working to um, uh, to to enlist transgender people as we speak. Um, And and I certainly hope that that Linda's application uh, goes through. And I, you know, and I I also think what's what's really important to note here is that even if Linda's application, you know, when Linda's application application goes through and she's able to serve her country, uh, you know, while the administration did not appeal that one uh, decision that that required the enlistment to begin on January 1st, uh, they are still at this point still fighting this. Uh, to preserve this ban or this policy or to in, institute this policy in the military within our courts, And no one, including Linda, should have to worry while they're serving their country that their commander-in-chief and his Department of Justice right. are pursuing a discriminatory policy. Against
0: well, right. There is a broader context here. I think it was in October that Attorney General Sessions uh, released a memo Asserting that federal civil rights law simply doesn't protect transgender people from any kind of workplace discrimination, so this this was a uh, a, a hundred eighty degree pivot from where the prior administration had been going on general workplace discrimination as well.
1: Well, that's absolutely true, and and, and as you and as we talked about, there this is part of a of a larger scale. Uh, it's it's one of the most egregious examples, but it's part of a larger scale. Um, effort by this administration to roll back the clock on our progress and to to try to legalize and in some cases embolden discrimination against transgender people specifically and LGBTQ people more broadly. Uh, And and transgender people who are serving their country should not be fearing discrimination by their commander-in-chief, and neither should any transgender person uh, in any job that they have. They should should be uh, they should know that their federal government will have their back should they face discrimination. Uh, And sadly, this administration, the Trump-Pence administration and Jeff Sessions
0: have... been. sending a very different message. I I hear you. That's exactly right. So, Linda, I know you're not serving right now, so this may be a tough question to answer, but um, I think about the fact that our military has come a a relatively long way in a few years uh, with respect to women and the types of service that they can provide with respect to um, uh, people serving uh, openly, regardless of their sexual orientation. Uh, And now uh, we've had this high-profile debate and litigation and court orders for transgender people. Do you think the current narrative of transgender people in the military has changed since all of this uh, unfolded?
2: I would think it has, sir. I mean, the fact is, is that since Revolutionary War, there have been people, gay, lesbian, straight, transgender, no matter what, serving in the military and serving honorably— Most of the people that I served with, and this is way back before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, knew people who were in the military who were gay. And nobody in the military cares about that. All we care about is, can you do your job? Can you handle it? Will you handle it? And will you put yourself behind the mission? And will you put the mission first? And that's what really matters.
0: Yeah. So, Sarah, uh, let's go back to you. And I want to ask, we've talked about the transgender military ban, but are there other anti-trans policies uh, that either this administration or the states are pursuing uh, that you think should be on our radar?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Well, this administration really started out uh, back uh, almost a year ago. Uh, With attacking the rights of transgender people when they rescinded life-saving guidance promoting the protection of transgender students targeting transgender young people for bullying and harassment during the school day Uh, and they rescinded that guidance that that the Obama administration's Department of Education had issued uh, about a year before Uh, We've also seen this administration grant a sweeping license to discriminate for government workers and federal contractors uh, that would allow them to potentially discriminate against not just transgender people, but LGBTQ people more broadly uh, and other marginalized Americans. Uh, they recently announced a, a new office in the Department of Health and Human Services that would, in effect, sanction discrimination in healthcare uh against uh, people who are seeking or have uh, had abortions, uh, as well as transgender people. Uh, and so this is, like I said, a, a, a ongoing, ongoing agenda by this administration throughout government that is insidious and clearly discriminatory. We also believe, in all of these cases, um, uh, uh, in violation of the law and the Constitution. Uh, but it's also part of an ongoing strategy outside of, of this White House and administration. Last year, we saw 130 anti equality bills introduced in 30 states across the country, and. Many of those bills were anti-transgender bills similar to the one we saw in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, this is a, an effort at the state level uh, to resist the politics of hate. But, but, you know, throughout all of this, I think what is clear, and we saw it when uh, with the public's response to the ban on, on transgender service members, we've seen it in states across the country, including in North Carolina, and it's that when politicians who oppose equality seek to discriminate and target transgender people uh, that it ends up backfiring and it actually ends up opening hearts and changing minds because people see that while they still may be learning about transgender people and our identities, that they understand that discrimination never wears well in history and that that it's wrong to hurt people. And that's what these policies do. And I think the public's responding um, uh, with, with a firm belief and passion for equality.
0: So Linda, um, the, about the only thing uh, Mendocino County and North Carolina have in common is a place called Fort Bragg. Uh, that they Correct, eat, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they each have a Fort Bragg, it, it occurs to me, uh, but they couldn't be further apart uh, temperamentally, philosophically, politically. Um, how do you feel uh, about the state of tolerance and inclusion uh, and enlightenment in our country right now?
2: In Fort Bragg, sir, or the entire country?
0: Our Fort Bragg. Let's start there. In
2: our Fort Bragg (laughs) in beautiful Northern California. Uh, Nobody really knew I was transgender up in Fort Bragg until all this started, nor did I want to make it an issue because Mm -hmm. it's a personal issue, and it doesn't need to affect or be part of anybody else. Press release came out and I just let it kind of organically flow through my place of employment. And most people are like, wow, I've had some veterans and some spouses of veterans tell me, Wow, you're taking it really well, I would be extremely upset. And so I credit that to my good military bearing because I am extremely upset about it. I just wanted to reenlist. I just wanted to finish what I started all those years ago and serve my country. I never wanted to be an activist. I'm not an activist. I just want to serve in the military, and I think I should be afforded the same Mm -hmm. opportunity as anybody else.
0: Have you felt a lot of support and encouragement from the community?
2: Yes, I have. Yes. Um, I was really surprised I didn't blow up on social media locally in Fort Bragg, and I did not. um, Most people that I've dealt with my entire life have been extremely supportive. When I came out way back in 1999, 2000, I maybe lost a handful of friends, but I figure they weren't friends anyways. I still have friends all the way back to grade school. So I don't understand what the issue is. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand how people feel it's okay to attack people that are currently serving in active duty and giving them more to worry about than the mission.
0: What about you, Sarah? Um, What would you say to someone who was uh, considering coming out in this current political climate?
1: Well, what I would say is that... um we have experienced significant progress over particularly the last decade. Um, and because of that, we have an army of, no pun intended, allies across this country who are ready to stand with us, who are fighting with us, uh, and who, who passionately care about uh, our basic dignity and equality. And, and that army is larger than it's ever been in our past, even with anti-equality politicians in power in the White House in leadership in Congress and in in, in too many states, uh, that, that we face some unprecedented challenges in many ways, but with it we also have unprecedented support, and that includes a, a community of allies and a community of transgender people who see them, who love them, and who are fighting every day to make sure that they're treated with the dignity and fairness that they deserve.
0: We've no doubt got a long way to go in this country, but it does seem to me that in the last... Um, couple of years, there have been some victories. Uh, Certainly, North Carolina had to walk back from uh, a very extreme uh, policy uh, on this. Other states have taken note of that and are probably thinking twice, even though, as Sarah mentioned, a lot of bills are still moving through a number of states. But uh, one of the bigger ones came uh, a few months ago when Danica Rome was elected to the Virginia House of Delegates as the first openly transgender state representative. Uh, I guess I would ask each of you, starting with Linda, uh, what does uh, a milestone like that mean for uh, trans visibility and how you feel uh, about the the state of our country?
2: I think it's great. Um, Hopefully she does a great job. And I think it shows that Look, everybody's the same. Everybody does the same things. Everybody has the same desires, same wants. We're all Americans. We're all part of the United States, and the first word in that is united. It's just, I think it's awesome. I think it's kind of sad that it's 2018 and we're hearing it's the first in 2018. Why couldn't it have been 1975 when we heard it's the first? Why does it take so long for people to accept an issue or accept somebody that has nothing to do with them.
0: Yeah. Sarah, anything to add to that?
1: Well, I, you know, I think what's, what's clear is that when you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Uh, and uh, now every single legislator uh, in the Virginia State Legislature will be walking the halls with an out transgender uh, member of that state legislature. There were several transgender people elected across the country in city halls and school boards as well that day. Uh, and I, I think it's a sign of our progress. And I know the day after I got calls and emails from parents of transgender youth who were able to wake their children up uh, and tell them that the night before, someone just like them had been elected to one of the oldest state legislatures in our country and will serve in, in a Capitol building des- designed by Thomas Jefferson. And I think that advancement and that moment uh, is a is a, a sign of where we're going and what will come, uh, and it will save lives in the meantime.
0: Yeah. So in a, in a few minutes, uh, Linda is going to accompany me into the uh, rotunda of the United States Capitol, and uh, she is not the only trans guest of a member of Congress. My colleague Joe Kennedy uh, is also inviting uh, a, a trans, uh, a patriot who's serving our country in the military and is transgender. Um Linda, how do you feel about going into that place? First of all, and second, uh, after a bit of other pomp and ceremony, um, Donald Trump is going to walk down the aisle, and you and I are going to have to listen to him give a long speech. How do you feel about that? Well, you
2: can't see the grin from ear to ear on radio, unfortunately. Um, I, sir, I'm extremely honored. Uh, I'm almost in tears. I'm so happy. It's awesome.
0: Well, I'm honored to have you here. I thank you for joining me. Thank you, sir. Uh, Looking forward to hearing the State of the Union. Honored that you're my guest. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. And for everyone else, thanks for tuning into the podcast. We'll see you next time. Off the Cup is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cuff with Jared Huffman.